All right, so last uh, class, we introduced uh, the, the idea of the topics that Carrie and I are going to cover in the fourth quarter. And uh, the title of the series is How Jesus Talked to People, uh, with a couple of working premises. Uh, number one, you know, we are called to be ambassadors of God. We're called to be uh, teachers, and we have to interact in the world. But on the other hand, interacting and talking to people in the world is, is getting worse. Uh, we're having a worse, a more challenging time just having a conversation because it's, uh, we're socially distanced, so we're, we have less practice of it. We have phones where we can avoid people. We have toxic conversations, toxic uh, topics, and, and, and all that makes it harder uh, just to, to, to my mind just to simply talk to people. So what we're doing in this class is taking a series of interactions uh, that Jesus had, not necessarily looking at the, the, the teaching necessarily, but the things that he said and how he approached uh, different people and different topics. Uh, today, um, we're talking about, oh, let's see, here we go. We're talking about how Jesus not necessarily talked to a person, but how Jesus talked to Satan, how to talk to those who are in open opposition uh, to us. Last time we talked about Nicodemus and how to talk to people who are curious. Today we're talking about how Jesus talked to someone who is in opposition to him. Okay? So with that, I'd like to read the story. Chapter 3 of Matthew, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus answering him said, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came to him, saying, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him <clears throat> excuse me, to the holy city and on the stand of the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands He will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, the glory, and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the, then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. So first, uh, like we did last time, I'm going to talk through a, a summary of the story, how Jesus approached Satan, and then how we can use that event to talk about how we may approach uh, similar situations uh, with Satan. These are our principles to keep in mind. Jesus is always prepared to teach. Jesus is always prepared uh, to talk to people. Different approaches need different situations. 
and, and, different, uh, and, and different people need different situations. Being rooted in God's love and being rooted in, excuse me, in God's word and being rooted in love and compassion for other people. So the story summary. Uh, first, um, this, this event um, is, is alluded to in, in all the Gospels. Matthew 4, Mark 1, Luke 4, John 1. Um, so it's obviously significant. It obviously plays a key role. Um, every, every Gospel talks about this. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Mark chapter 1 uh, talks about Jesus. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. What significance do you see? What, what significance should we draw uh, from that? Um, I'll give you my thoughts, and I, I'd, like, I'd like to see if you have any. Um, Jesus is at the uh, beginning of a spiritual battle. There's a voice from heaven that he hears, and then a voice from hell that he immediately hears. There's water, and there's desert. There's holiness and purity, and then there's evil. Uh, it is to, to me, I read chapter 4, verse 1, not necessarily as then Jesus was led, but it's, it's almost like therefore Jesus was led. It's something that immediately happens uh, after, after this is the case. Um, there is a conflict at, at the point when Jesus is at his spiritual height. Um, he has been recognized as the beloved son of God, fulfilling righteousness, and immediately he's pulled into the desert. Uh, to be tempted. Any thoughts uh, on that? Again, we're kind of just covering the, the overview of the story. Any thoughts on that before we uh, continue? I'm pulling out the pieces of the story that I want you to remember uh, for about 20 minutes from now. So, so keep, that, uh, keep that in mind as well, okay? Now, I'm not answering this next part first. Uh, somebody else is going to. So when... He talks about twice, Satan says, if you're the son of God, what does this say about the challenges that Satan is bringing? Jesus Jesus is not asked to do a math problem. He's not asked to um, talk about history and memorize something. He's, he's, He's asked on the premise a couple of questions. And the premise is, if you're the son of God, what is, what is, uh, what is, uh, Satan trying to do by approaching Jesus with that at the beginning, do you think? Starting to question the very thing he was just acknowledged by baptism by John that he was being the Son of God. Right. So they mentioned that he's, if you think about what I just said about Matthew chapter 3, he's trying to counter the very claim that was already just made. You're making a claim, excuse me, God is making a claim of you. In Matthew chapter 3, you're my beloved son. I'm going to challenge, want to challenge that claim. Okay? Does so in, in a couple of ways. Um, and he is tempted uh, by the devil. Um, one, one point I want to make here is um, about the words that we use. What is temptation? Somebody define that. When, when, we're, when you're tempted, when Jesus is tempted by the devil, what does that mean? Choice between right and wrong. It's a choice between right and wrong. Trying to get someone to do something wrong. It's not like you feel the urge to do something. Like, I feel the urge to eat a piece of cake, but I'm on a diet. That's not temptation in this, in this verse, okay? 
Temptation is trying to get you to do something wrong, wrong against God. And there's a couple of things that are called on uh, by Satan. The first part, verses 3 and 4, if you're the son of God, then you must be hungry. And you're also powerful enough to fix that problem. Okay? If you're the son of God, you're hungry and you can fix that problem. The problem that God the Father has put you in. So do it. Can Jesus make bread? Certainly he can. We're going to see in a few, few stories later down the road that he does. In, in the book of Mark, on two occasions he makes bread. So we know that Jesus can make bread. Jesus is, is uh, hungry. We know that. Uh, Forty days uh, in the wilderness, we know he's hungry. Uh, Jesus responds by quoting uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and, and verse 3. And, and Jesus you know, just quotes a little snippet of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Um, and, and in my mind, when, when Jesus you know, quotes Scripture, it's almost like uh, when we... Uh, we, we quote or we recall a play in a sporting event or we recall a quote in a movie or a TV show. What are we really doing? We're not just lingering on those words, but consider the whole context. If I'm quoting something, I want you to remember that whole event. And in Matthew, excuse me, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, you do not live by bread alone. And Moses in that context is talking about what? He's talking about the Israelites' reliance on God, Right? We, you were given manna from heaven, and God took care of you. So you, you don't live on this bread as if you have, you have provided this bread. You live on the words of God, because God's word is the one that, for, for example, brought you manna from heaven so that you could eat. Okay? So Jesus sees, yes, physical needs are important, but they're not as critical as reliance on God. Okay? Easy enough. And the second one. Matthew chapter 4, verses uh, uh, 5 and and 6 and 7. If you're the son of God, then God is going to protect you. Because fathers protect their kids. Right? If you're the son of God, God will protect you because you are a child of his. And God protects his children. So, just like the Bible says... Let's show it. Let's show it to this community that happens to be around the temple. Go up high and jump. What is Jesus' response uh, in verse 7? We've probably studied this uh, a few, few times in the past. What, what is Jesus' response uh, to, to, to Satan's temptation? Hey, God protects his children, so he'll protect you. How does Jesus respond to that? Don't test God. Okay, what does that mean? Don't test God. Sure, don't put God in a situation where He has to act at our discretion. Okay? Jesus is going to jump and God is going to have to catch it. Acting in a way that is, that is against our nature, jumping really high, trying to fall with, no, with, with nothing physical to catch us, acting in a way that's, that's against our nature, 
to try and rely on God to swoop in and protect us is foolishness. You don't put God to the test like that. Even if you're his child, is, is Jesus's is Jesus's claim. Okay? Everyone with me so far? Last one. Verses uh, eight and nine. Jesus is offered the whole world in exchange for loyalty. And you think about it, with, with, with control of the world, what could Jesus do? If, if this one played itself out, what could Jesus do if he had control over the world that Satan offered him? All right, so David said you could set up an earthly kingdom. And Jesus is from God, and that earthly kingdom would be good. It would be peaceful. There wouldn't be crime. There wouldn't be injustice because he controls everything. He has full power. And he could also bypass any sort of uh, suffering or conflict that may come as a result of building this kingdom. Um, You can just have everything. You don't have to, to get it in another way. Um, if, you just follow, if you just follow and you worship me. Jesus says, no, you only What's the significance? So I'm, for those in the car, I'm at the bottom of the, I guess, the first or second slide. What's the significance of the story as a whole? Again, again we're trying to summarize the story so we can talk about how Jesus talked and how we should talk. But again, what's the summary, what's the summary goal of, of putting this story in the Bible? The scripture says, I treasured thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And that Jesus is an example of that. All right. So Jason, uh, sorry. Jonathan saying that there is a, 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 an example that Jesus is providing here, okay? Um, the temptations being offered to Jesus and he's refusing them. Remaining pure from sin. And it's not only as an example, but there's also another reason that, that Jesus needs to be um, resistant to these temptations because he has to remain pure for what is to occur uh, later on, which we talked about in, in John uh, chapter 3. Yes, sir. And this... Uh section here, Jesus was tempted in the same way that we're tempted today. You have an example of the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of your eyes. And the purpose for this is to show Jesus used scripture to answer all these things that the devil... The devil even used scripture himself to try to tempt mm-hmm. Jesus and make him sin. He, Although he didn't quote it completely... And neither did Jesus quote the Deuteronomy passage completely. So mm-hmm. I, evidently that's the reason he didn't uh, chastise him for not using the complete scripture. But anyway, it, it's, uh, we're tempted in this same way. Good. Good. And we're going to get to that a little more later. But you're exactly right. Yes, sir. I'm just going to say this is uh, the model for defeating temptation. So Jesus knew the will of God. He used the will of God. He stayed about his father's business, and he prayed. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I could probably just end now, but uh, it's not what you're paying me for. i gotta keep, uh, I got to keep going. So, yes, sir. 
One second, one second, man, so the people in the car can hear you. Also in Hebrews 2, uh, 18, it says, for since he himself was tempted, uh, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And then the rest of, you know, other chapters in Hebrews talk about Jesus as the ultimate high priest. You know, that's another way that he was our ultimate high priest, that he was tempted and he still remained pure. Right. Right, exactly. Kind of like Jonathan was saying. You've got a, an example, but it's, it's more than an example. You know, it's, it's not just, hey, Jesus did it, so try hard. It's, no, Jesus did it so that he could be a mediator on our behalf. Right? Okay, good. Now, let's talk about <clears throat> the, the, the crux of the matter about the class. So how Jesus talked. Well, we, we talked about a little bit of this already, but let's reiterate some of the points. So for those in the car, I'll move to the, the next slide. How Jesus talked to Satan. So first of all, what do we learn about Satan? Satan is a, a tempter. Actively trying to persuade us to do something wrong. It was mentioned lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And I think the point was it, it's, it's the same today as it has been. Uh, Jesus is tempted with the same things we are. Doubt. Uh, turn stones to bread because God isn't helping you. You know, deceit. You know, make God prove it. Or evil plans. You know, gathering the kingdoms of the earth in a different way. Um, Satan is active. Satan is aware of what's going on. Satan is just as aware that this is a spiritual battle um, that's in progress just as much as as Jesus is, just as much as we should be. There is a, uh, I feel like there's a strong reason that Satan comes to Jesus now rather than the Tuesday before he's he's crucified um, with the same offerings. Jesus has, has come to by Satan early on. Uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's on purpose. Uh, and then Satan is clever. Where is Jesus um, in his life? Where, what, what, what is, what's going on in Jesus' life uh, when he's being tempted here? Everything fine? He's hungry, he's lonely, he's tired. Where else has he been? Baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's had a, a, um, I'm going to use some terms, a little loose here. He's had a spiritual uh, awakening and a spiritual reset as someone who's, who's come onto the earth, not that Jesus needed a spiritual awakening. Hoping you get my point. Jesus is at a, a, a peak. He is at a high point uh, spiritually with God recognizing him as his son. But he's also alone and, and tired and, and hungry and, and in need uh, as a person. Satan recognizes that and tries to hit on both. Okay, so when we talk, and uh, in, in for the purposes of this class, I'm going to use this word: as we talk to Satan, as we talk to the opposition, recognize that the opposition is clever. Okay, David, all the way, all the way in the back, uh, Gerald, right here, uh, David. So, in my opinion, from last week's and this week's class, we noticed that the audience 
is addressed and you uh, make the comments according to specific audience, you see uh, the devil addressing in a very eloquent yet deceitful way, does Jesus recognize the audience and respond the same way with scripture? Spot on. My work is done. <laughs> yeah, Mitch. Uh, just to add to the uh, Satan being aware part, um, it, uh, Satan doesn't care if he's using the truth correctly or if it's even truth, and the opposition doesn't either. Mm. So, so often that can come up as well. Good point. Good point. All right, there's... Yes, sir. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say... Uh, I did a class or two classes on temptation a few years back. And while I was doing the research for that class, I spent some time on websites that cater to people suffering from various addictions, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, uh, pornography, even uh, food addictions, overeating. And, you know, a common thread that I noticed in, in all those websites was that there are points in our life when we are most vulnerable. We have this sort of emotional circadian rhythm, if you will. Mm -hmm. There's probably nothing rhythmic about it other than the fact that there are highs and lows. Mm -hmm. and, and we all go through those. Mm -hmm. And it's in those lows that we're often most vulnerable. And there was an acronym that I saw on a lot of these sites. It contains three of the things you've already mentioned. The acronym was HALT, H-A-L-T. So when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired are times that we are most vulnerable. And of course here, Jesus is hungry. I mean, he's gone 40 days without food. You know, we go one day without food, and we're starving, right? Yeah. Hours. I mean, we're angry about it. We even yeah. use the word hangry to describe right. how we feel, right? Right. <laughs> right. So, and when you think about the pandemic around us, you know, people are angry. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're angry at China. They're angry at the virus. They're, they're maybe angry at politicians because everything's been so politicized. Maybe they're angry with governors and city mayors, whatever. People are angry. Mm -hmm. Isolation has caused people, you know, we're, we're lonely. Right. And tired. I don't know. A lot of us are working from home and a lot more than we used to. And you would think that that would equate to more rest but yeah. I feel more tired yeah me too the more I work from home and I'm not out and about doing things right uh, in fact there are days when you know I just don't feel like getting out of bed right I just mm -hmm. want to sleep it off or something but yeah so we're very vulnerable right now all of us so oh, well said well said um, it's, it's something that it was, again, if you think about it, it's kind of the reason that I wanted to talk about these as a whole, as a class, because think about everything David just said, and then we've got to talk to somebody. You've got to be able to approach and communicate to people. And in this case, in this class, what if you're in that position and someone comes up and offers you um, a temptation? Or someone walks up to you, know you know is in opposition to you, like Jesus knows he's in opposition. How do we approach uh, someone like that when we're tired, down, uh, etc.? One of the things that the second point in this in this um, slide: reaction uh, versus response. 
this is one of the points that I want to drive home a little bit. There's a difference between reacting to someone and, and responding. Um, in these moments, like David described, it's easier to react. It's a shot of survival. It's defensive, little to no thinking. It's based on the moment and doesn't critically think about the long term. Um, it might be okay what we say in those words, but it might in those times, but it might need clarification later, or it might not work. That's what reaction is. Response is based on conscious thought, considering the situation of the speaker and those around the speaker, you know, kind of the, the, the ecology of the situation, not just the words that are coming out of people's mouths, and critically thinks about the long-term impacts. You know, it's, it's the difference between uh, an, an untrained dog that barks at everything that he sees and, and eats everything that he sees, and, and a, that, that would be reaction, or a dog that barks when it should and eats the food that is provided. You know, a response. That's a responsive dog, not a reactionary dog. And there's an opportunity to, to see them both. And we have to see the difference, especially in times of stress. Jesus responds, it is written. Jesus could have easily responded, I hate you. I know what you're here to do. Get out of my face. Leave me alone. I ain't got time to talk to you. I'm hungry. Um, Jesus could have responded like that. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. Even to his opposition. Even to his opposition. Um, We're going to hit this point a few more times. It's already been hit a couple of times, which I really appreciate. But scripture, scripture as the foundation. Um, What more can be said than than Jesus' own words? Uh, it is written, and that requires, you know, pause to respond, and it requires a well-chosen response, which we'll talk about um, a little bit later. And then the last point, empowered by being God's beloved son. There's a background in Jesus' mind knowing that God is pleased with him. These temptations are not on an island. They're in a context where God is known to be pleasing, known to be pleased, excuse me, by, uh, by Jesus. This is the son who, according to you know, Paul in, in Philippians chapter 2, will have the name to which every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. He's going to get all of the kingdoms of God, and, um, and he knows that, and God knows that. That context uh, is important. Even if Jesus doesn't come out and say it, you know, Jesus doesn't come, have to come out and say, I'm better than you because I'm bigger and I'm badder and I know more and I'm more important than you because I'm from God. He knows that he doesn't come out and say it. And that's the end of it. You know, I'm better than you because I'm a better person or I have God on my side and you don't. That's not an argument. Uh, and it's not the one that uh, not the one that Jesus uses. We're going to get to the, uh, the last piece. Now, any comments before we go to um, how we should approach uh, our opposition? All right. How should we view Satan when we talk to people? <clears throat> First of all, uh, so this is uh, for those in the car, this is the last slide. Uh, first comment. Uh, first point I want to drive home as we, as we 
come to the end. Christianity is a fight. Um, spiritual baptism, therefore, you, know, you think about the things that David mentioned, stress and conflicts and confrontation. That's what Jesus sees, and we will see it too. I want you to picture in your mind uh, something for me. I'm going to put you in a scenario. Imagine being in a place where you are totally and completely pleasing to God. Imagine you're in that condition. Your life is totally and completely pleasing to God in every way. Okay? What's your life like? What, what, do, you, what do you imagine? Is it, uh, my life is going well, so I'm doing well. Is that what you got in your mind? If you're completely pleasing to God, even to the point where God says, this is my beloved son, um, what's your life like? You make the claim, based on at least this passage, that um, the result of a life that is completely pleasing to God could be uh, conflict, or will be uh, conflict. Some people um, who, who may be interested in Christianity, uh, that, that we may uh, approach, that we may talk to, um, who may even see some opposition, um, this is not a good selling point. But it's about being a, a truthful salesman. Christianity is, is a fight. Now, we know where we're headed, just like Jesus. Jesus knows where he's headed. But there will be times when we are, we are allowed, we are, we are tempted to go in another direction. Um, spiritual baptism, becoming God's son and your problems are over, isn't real. It's not real. Um, Christianity is a, is a fight. Any uh, questions or comments on that one? That's probably the easiest one. Checking for them. I'm not checking like work or anything. All right. Second point. Know your enemy. Who's the uh, who's the enemy? <clears throat> like the easiest question I've asked so far. Who's the enemy? <clears throat> Satan. Right. It's not another denomination. It's not alcohol, atheism, the Democratic Party. It's not the enemy. The enemy is, is Satan. I want to go back. I want to talk. I want to talk just a minute about what David said a couple of minutes ago. Really registered with me. I was listening to a podcast one time, and the the, the one of the guys talking made a point. He said, "Drugs and alcohol are not the problem. They are say a solution to a problem. Drugs, alcohol, abuse, they are not the problem. They are a solution to a problem." There is an opposing power manifesting itself in the world today in the forms of pride, hate, uh, fear. And, and I'm lingering on this point because as we talk to people, I think the, the environment that our situations are in, when, especially when we talk to people about opposition, there is a loss of a sense of evil um, and Satan uh, today. It's, it, it, it's, it's, to me, it's easy in, in our modern world to think of the idea of Satan as silly. Um, 
because we have other causes for the things that are going wrong. You know, mental illness and drugs and a, a poor culture that allows racism or abuse or poor parenting. That's the problem. Th- those may um, exist. We cannot write off Satan. Can't write off Satan as not existing anymore, uh, as an open opposition. Um, if there is a supernatural good, uh, empirically, I believe we've got to think that there is a supernatural bad. Not equal, but there is something that exists um, to, the, to that effect. Um, the, we, we, we don't, if we don't believe in Satan, then, then the human condition is just really poor. Um, really poor. How have we gotten to this point? A lot of things have happened, certainly, but one of them has to be a recognition and an acknowledgement that evil, uh, that, that evil exists. I'm going to quote uh, from a book. Uh, this is a fairly long quote, but I'm going to read it because I think, it's, I think it's, it's, it's really good. It's from a book called The Death of Satan. We live in the most brutal century in human history, but instead of stepping forward to take the credit, the devil has rendered himself invisible. The very notion of evil seems incompatible with modern life, from which the ideas of transgression and the accountable self are fast receding. Yet despite this loss of old words and moral concepts, like sin, excuse me, Satan, sin, evil, we cannot do without some conceptual means for thinking about universal human experience of cruelty and pain. My driving motive in writing this book has been the conviction that if evil, with all its insidious complexity, escapes the reach of our imagination, it will have established dominion over us all. Here's the point I'm trying to, I think he's trying to make. In, in today's America, Satan isn't real to people. He doesn't, he doesn't exist. He's not a thing. Um, over time, a gap is formed in our language and how we talk to people. A gap is formed in our language where we cannot make Satan real to people or maybe even real to ourselves. We've lost the ability to have faith because we've lost the idea of, of, of evil. Um, you know, we attribute the nastiness of, of human nature to bad parenting, you know, mental illness, um, we use the words like evil to describe things that are, that are out there, like human trafficking and the Holocaust and child abuse. That's evil. Oh, there's much more that's evil than that. Um, and if we can't see Satan, then he owns us. But remember, what is... Um, what is Satan described as in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8? He's a lion, right? He exists and he has a function. Seeking whom he, whom he may devour. And it's not by means of human traffickers over there. He's looking for me. And he's looking for you. Um, so that's the second point. Christianity is a fight. Know your enemy. It's not something out there. 
when we talk to people today, uh, evil exists today uh, in this city, in this community. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Hopefully. Okay, good. Any thoughts on that or any uh, comments uh, before I continue? All right. Um, second one, uh, the, the third one, know the battlefield. If we believe in Satan, it's easy to make this mistake that the battle is, 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 is somewhere else. Um, but the battle is in normal things. You know, there isn't one big battle right after baptism or a couple of days after baptism, and then you can, we can coast to victory. The opposition, talking in opposition, uh, happens in, in, in normal circumstances. Um, and temptation comes even when we not, may not be in a temptation setting. You know, Jesus is not, uh, he's in the wilderness and he's tempted for something that talks, that is uh, on a high mountain or related to the temple. Um, same for us. We don't have to be at home to be tempted to do something bad at home. We don't have to be at work to be tempted to do evil at work or, or amongst people. Um, there is a, a, um, a battlefield, and Satan is throwing everything himself, everything in himself at, at Christianity. Um, at Jesus, he's throwing uh, stones at him to make them into bread so that Jesus uh, can use his own power, you know, causing God to, to, to help him and protect him in ways that he shouldn't at the temple, and then obviously gaining the power. Um, in, in, the, in the world um, without having to go through the suffering of the cross. It, it's, it's everyday things to Jesus. And, and the battlefield is in the, it, to me, is in the everyday. Um, C.S. Lewis in the, in the screw tape letters, it felt silly to not quote the screw tape letters at some point when we're talking about the, um, the devil. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. When we talk to people, uh, when we talk to them about evil, we need to recognize the enemy and we, recognize, we need to recognize also that the battlefield. Opposition can occur at any point uh, about any context. Does that make sense? With me? Okay. Last one. We've, we've hit on this one uh, a few times. Know the weapons. We have two weapons, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Jesus uses the Word of God to turn the stones to bread, you know, a temptation for, for human uh, satisfaction. Jesus responds, you know, the world's food and the world's desires are not what satisfy me, but the, the words of God alone, and the words of God alone. Um, does, does this mean... That every time um, there is a, uh, a uh, evil temptation before us, that the first thing that's out of our mouth has to be a quote from the Bible. How we contend? No, but great place to start. Great place to start. Now, knowing the weapons that we have, knowing the Word of God, what does that imply? It, it implies that you know. Man, this is, this is going to sound silly. It implies you know the Word of God. What passage, what story, what example, in the right context, 
I'm not just pulling phrases out of the Bible that help me now, but what story in the Bible helps me right now in opposition to the devil? And that's something you don't prepare for on the battlefield. That's something we prepare with every day. And we talked about this a little bit uh, last time. The, the, the Bible is ripe with examples of different situations, different characters who behave poorly and who behave properly that can be used as weapons against the opposition. It is written. Uh, I've got my own acronym up here. PACE. P A. See, so when we use, when we are to respond, when we are to respond to the opposition, here's kind of my final takeaways. First, you know, pause. In James 1, verse 19, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The opposition is, is sometimes out in the open. Uh, fix this. This is the problem. You're the problem. Whatever, whatever the case. Or this can be way easier than being a Christian. Um, I can get you to this point and I can shortcut it for you. First thing is when we're in a situation where we know we're talking to someone and we're in opposition, it's okay to take three or four seconds and not say anything. That is okay. Pause. The opposition um, has something to say. James has a lot to say about how we talk to people, but the first thing he says when it comes to our tongues is don't use it. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. First point, we're going to talk about the tongue a lot in James. The first point I want you to make, I want you to hear is don't use it. Take a second and, and, and pause. Second thing, ask, ask why. In other words, be self-aware and, and aware of the situation. Jesus is asked Make these stones into bread. And Jesus is conscious enough of the situation to understand why he's being asked that. Is the simple point that I've got there. Understand why you're being asked a, a certain uh, question so that we can respond. Third, the seed choose a response rooted in God's word. Again, emphasis on, on one of the principles in the in the first slide. Rooted in God's rooted in God's word. Um, there is a uh, Lee a couple of weeks ago referenced uh, Psalm 19 uh, about uh, what, what our Bible is. Our Bible is restorative, wisdom building, it's right, it's enduring, it's enlightening. Um, and I'm not suggesting that every statement out of our mouths has to come from a quote in the Bible. It's not what Jesus does in every situation. But saying words that are chosen on purpose, rooted in God's word, is important because we're not representing just ourselves. We are representing ourselves against the opposition. And we're representing Christ. Okay? We are ambassadors to Christ in the words that we say. Just as Jesus is representing what God meant when he talked to the, book of, to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we are representing uh, we are representing God in the words that we say and the words that we choose. And the last thing, and be uh, recognize that we are empowered by God as His child. Remember what's back behind you when you talk 
to the opposition. It's not that God is going to come right out and speak for you, but recognize what you have at your, at your hand uh, that, the opposition, that the opposition doesn't. Um, any closing caught my thoughts or comments? Last uh, 30 seconds before we conclude. So we've talked about uh, how God talks to, how we should talk to curious people, and we've talked about how we should talk in a situation where we are, are in opposition. Uh, we'll take a bit of a break uh, for next uh, Sunday with the gospel meeting, but we'll, uh, we'll pick back up in a couple of weeks. Thanks.